0: Welcome to episode 10 of Where Did It All Go Right. We've made it to 10. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to find out about previous episodes, they're on iTunes and Podbean, and it's really great, you know, hearing all the great advice and stories from our previous guests. We've had presenters, writers, illustrators, they're all there. So go listen if you haven't already. So our tenth guest is Adam Buxton. Um, in the spirit of Adam's podcast, I did try to make a jingle for the podcast. Well, I got my kids to try and make one. It was half term, there was not much to do. I thought this would be a great creative thing for them to do. Unfortunately, we all agreed it was unpodcastable. Uh, There were some musical differences with the trumpeter, my son. Uh, The clarinetist, one of my girls, uh, needed to refine her technique, I think you could say. Um, I'm just going to leave you to imagine what it sounded like. So without a jingle, let me set the scene of where we recorded the podcast. Adam was in Oxford. He was doing a brilliant gig for the Samaritans, along with other celebrities. There were singing groups. There was entertainment. Now, we had planned to record the podcast in a nice quiet room in Oxford Town Hall. But in the end, we recorded it under the stage because the green room was under the stage. Now, the only problem was to get to the green room, you had to go over the stage and not even like down the side, but right across the middle of the stage where the bands were performing. And I can tell you, having done that three times in front of the audience, I thought we can't just keep crossing backwards and forwards. So we decided to stay put under the stage and that is probably why you can hear a little bit of uh, background noise there were the great singing groups going on jeremy irons was doing the comparing and in a lovely big loud voice but you might hear that as well so um there's a little bit of background noise but apart from that it's all good so sit back relax and enjoy adam buxton Adam, thank you so much for talking to me in this really salubrious room that we've got in Oxford here backstage at the Oxford Town Hall.
1: Nice to meet you.
0: And um, I, I don't know where to start really with, with your career because you know, I've seen all the lists that you've done on your website. It's just phenomenal that, you know, we, we have only got half an hour and we can't, we can't possibly go through it all. But for me, it seems to me that your success lies maybe in the fact that you've always been a bit ahead of the game. Uh, so, take over TV before YouTube, podcasts before people knew what a podcast was almost.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Would you agree with that?
1: I mean, yeah, because it makes me sound like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so I would agree with that. And there is some truth in it. But um, certainly everything I've done, someone else did it before me at some point. But yeah, broadly speaking, me and Joe, I suppose Joe Cornish, that is, are best known for... Um, Doing a TV show back in the nineties on Channel Four, the Adam and Joe show, and and now it certainly does look as if it was a lot like YouTube before YouTube existed. We always thought of it as being like um, Wayne's world, but real. I.e. homemade, a couple of nerds in their bedroom talking about things that entertain them, amuse them, pop culture, that kind of thing.
0: And do you think Being a couple of nerds is a good thing. I was talking to um, Paul Matthew Archer, who's friendly with Andy Hamilton, and he said that the reason they got together was that they didn't really fit in, they didn't do the main sort of Footlights Cambridge thing because they were a bit nerdy. So they were a bit shy, actually, and they just did a splinter group. Sometimes do you think forming a splinter group is actually quite a good idea?
1: Well, there's something to be said for being on the margins, not getting immediately swallowed up in the mainstream, and we certainly... Avoided the mainstream very successfully for a long time, and still I have managed to do so. Joe's gone all mainstream very disturbingly with his Hollywood film career, but he still has, uh, he's still got some of his extremities touching the margins.
0: <laughs> some of the nerdiness. <laughs> yeah, I
1: would say he's still a nerd at heart. Yeah. And I think both of us probably, on some level, craved mainstream acceptance but at the same time weren't really cut out for it and were happier just being slightly snarky and uh, taking the mick out of a lot of things that we liked and some things that we weren't so keen on. But you know what I mean, like being, not that we'd like to think of ourselves that way, but kind of like critics in a way.
0: Mm, just you know separating I mean? yourself a little bit from Yeah, but like from
1: creative it. critics. <laughs> you can be a critic. But if anyone, if anyone ever quoted that back to me, I'd have to vomit.
0: Well, it's okay. I won't say it again, and All then right, you'll be okay. fine. No. So, And you've divided, you divided your work into working with Joe, working yeah. on your own, and working with other people. Do you think from the very beginning, if you hadn't met Joe at school, do you think you would have never gone down this road? Or do you think there was a part of that... Hmm. I
1: don't know. I wonder. ...that
0: was festering always? Oh,
1: there, was cer- I mean, there was certainly a kind of as I say, a yearning to be part of all those things that I was excited about. Mm. And I know Joe, like me, used to pretend to be on the radio, used to get a tape recorder, in my case it belonged to my dad, he was a journalist and he had a little rudimentary tape recorder that he'd make notes on. And so I would uh, pretend that I was doing a radio show and do links and then take bits of music off uh, charts or you know my mum's records or whatever, just any piece of music. And I know Joe did that as well. And I think it's something that a lot of people do actually. If I, they... I, did. I used to, yeah, like when would. I was
0: revising, I'd, I'd record the question, right. leave a gap. Ah. And that was my way of, oh, it's terrible isn't it? We're all nerds and a bit of anorak, So maybe I'm just talking for myself here. <laughs> no, I think a lot of
1: people um, who end up doing radio or TV or lots of things like that do, mm-hmm. do that kind of thing. And it's often radio because that seems the most realistic and doable. If I hadn't met Joe, gosh, it's hard to tell. Uh, Mm. certainly he was much more together and much more focused and had much more of an idea of he always wanted to make movies you know i think for him it was probably quite a strange detour to be on tv and do stuff with me not that i hope he regrets it but it, it wasn't the path that probably he would have imagined or preferred i think he would have preferred to be making films sooner than he ended up So
0: with. he could have been doing that years ago. It's all your fault. It's kind
1: he? of my fault. Yeah. yeah, But it's
0: okay now because I saw the big poster today for his film. So it's fine. I'm sure Well, he's if he'd made him.
1: them earlier on, they might not have been so good. There you go. This is the thing. I do hope that me and Joe are both the kinds of people that are finally getting into our stride now. We're nearly 50. <laughs> you know Late we, developers. Yeah, yeah. We were yeah. never... Um, You know, we were in our late 20s when we did our TV show on Channel 4, Mm. when we started doing it. We were never mature in any way. We were never on top of anything. We never had a clear idea. Everything just formed very gradually. And and when we look back at some of our early efforts, it's (laughs) toe-curling.
0: But it's interesting that you're not sure whether it would have made a difference with Joe, but you were the one who sort of started the ball rolling with TakeOver TV, weren't you? I was,
1: because I was at art school where i was doing a sculpture course but actually i spent most of my time making videos and uh, installations in which to house the videos mainly i just was interested in the videos and felt that i should not disrespect the course by not you know like i should make some actual things objects and one of the people that assessed me for my degree said i heard afterwards that they were worried I was just using the course as a stepping stone to get on TV. No. Which I didn't feel I was. <laughs> but a they little...
0: obviously could see.
1: Yeah but they sort of, I th- well I think there's just that snobbery in the art world like humour doesn't belong there. A certain type of humour, i.e. not funny humour. You know what I mean? It's like humour in art is generally pretty <laughs> lame.
0: But that's a shame isn't it?
1: Yeah and anything that, anything, as soon as something is properly funny Necessarily saying the stuff I was doing was, but <laughs> as soon as something is, then it's immediately dismissed. It's weird. It's what people often say, um, you know, they, they never give out the Oscar to a, a comedy, yeah. even though there have been so many mm. great comedy films. Maybe uh, *Life of Brian* is the one that springs to mind most readily, but *Bridesmaids*, things like that. Mm. That you can, those are great films that, that with amazing performances, and you can watch them over and over again. Mm. But they but they're dismissed as being sort of fluff, really. Mm. Anyway, uh, I think my tutors at art school were a bit like that. Um, Do I... you
0: remember the conversation uh, when you said to Joe, right, well, I'm here, and, and would you like to come and, and work with me? Because that's how it happened, okay? Yeah. Okay. When
1: I was at art school, I, I responded to this ad in the NME, and they were looking for clips for a new show that was being made on Channel 4. It was a kind of a public access show. Before, that concept was widely understood in the mm. UK. Public access was a thing in America, in small towns, you know. But the idea of ordinary people making videos and having them shown on TV was very much a novelty at the end of the 90s. So I sent some stuff in that had a few things that I'd made at college and also some stuff that me and Joe had made, because we'd always get together on weekends and fool around. That's how you'd
0: hang out. Yeah, exactly. And
1: then we'd show it to our friends, you know. Um,
0: Oh no, not again. They've been been busy. Honestly,
1: yeah. I mean, I'm sure it was quite a pain in the neck for a lot of our mates. (laughs) They're like, oh, crikey, here we go. Um, And I got a response uh, to the tape that I sent in, um, which was amazing. And I ended up working at the production company, sort of sorting through tapes, as well as making more clips for this show. And then I ended up presenting one of them. It was called Takeover TV. And in order to help with the workload, I got, you know, my funny mate involved, who was Joe.
0: You didn't tell him it was because to help with the over overworkingness that going on. It was just, you said, this is time for you to be, have your moment of glory. How did you sell it to him?
1: I think I, I just sort of said, you know, are you up for it? Yeah. They're, they're desperate for clips. They're not getting that much good stuff in. Most of the tapes that were coming in were fairly dour and doer and dire all the they're from Danny Dyer um (laughs) and they just were looking for stuff that was a bit more a bit more silly and fun and but but had some kind of technical assurance you know
0: so so working together that's obviously something you've done a lot throughout the whole of your career yeah and would you say with your podcast, you do a lot of stuff on your own, I imagine with the, the jingles, and the, yes. and, and you, you seem to like to have quite a lot of control, so how do you manage that when you're working as a team? What, 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 what way of working do you prefer?
1: That's a good question. Sorry. No, that is a good question. That's the heart, It goes to the heart of a lot of things that have been difficult for me, because I'm not very good, I don't think, at collaborating.
0: Well, you seem to have been pretty successful though collaborating.
1: Well, Joe and I ended up divvying up the workload. We found that we were both so competitive and protective of our ideas and critical of each other's ideas that a lot of the time, I think I was worse than he, a lot of the time we'd kind of paralyse each other by just second-guessing. We were so critical of other people's stuff, you know what I mean? We'd sit there and watch TV and go, we could do that, what a load of rubbish, you know. Define ourselves by what we didn't want to do rather than what we did. Um, that when it came to actually making stuff ourselves, it was very difficult to get beyond second guessing everything the way that someone like us might when they were watching. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? To, to, to be super critical. And it was a real problem. And in the end, we just, to, just to get things done, we just had to say, all right, listen, man, you go off and you, you do the Fight Club toy movie. I'll do the. Um, ER toy movie and, and
0: we'll meet again in two days it,
1: well no three weeks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then um,
0: know, and you must have worked so hard though I mean, we did just...
1: work hard but we kept sort of eccentric hours we would get up very late and then we'd work through the night but we did work hard yeah yeah
0: so ultimately then you like working in a team
1: but on your own Well that was it was not a good way of working. (laughs) And in the end it it, it meant that we got pissed off with each other. And actually it made it much harder for us to carry on and do things. And I think Joe was frustrated. He he still wanted to be making movies, you know. And he must have thought more than once, like, why am I sitting here arguing about how we do some parody of a Lilette's advert when I could be making a film, you know? (laughs) Or at least trying to so it was tricky and actually after years of kind of wandering around and doing our own thing after we finished doing that tv show which was in 2001 we did the fourth and final series on channel four then we sort of were in the wilderness for a few years we built up a little profile mm-hmm. we got a few gigs but they were here and there it must have been hard
0: though because you're sort right. of like you got to that level you're like ooh, ooh, ooh channel four and, th- and then it sort of did there was time when you thought i might just jack this all in and
1: go and do something Not jack it in, but just like, it was anxious making. It was just like, what are we doing here? What's our idea? And then I think at that point, Joe thought, right, okay, time to get the films in gear. But of course, by that point, he was working with Edgar Wright, and um, I'm sure the last person that he thought, let's sit down and try and work on a movie together was me, because we were both not sick of the sight of each other, but...
0: When you're working long hours together, yeah, yeah. you need a break, don't you, you do. each other? You do, you yeah. do.
1: And one of the gigs that we ended up doing was covering for Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant on XFM uh, in 2003. And uh, that was okay. Our agent, I think, by then was like, listen, just do something. <laughs> um, Otherwise I'm going to sack yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> I think, literally. So uh, we did it. But I remember quite a few bad tempered afternoons and it not being very relaxing and me feeling like, ah, this is, I'm not very good at this, this is ridiculous. So it, it was slow. The thing for me that changed was when we started making a podcast out of it, which was a couple of years thereafter and uh, the person producing us at the time at XFM said, look, do you want to do a podcast? Like, we were like, what's a podcast? And they said, well, you know, it's just an online version and, of the show and we were thinking, that sounds like a massive waste of time (laughs) no one knows what a podcast is who's gonna download who's gonna listen to it what's the point of this but anyway somehow I think maybe by then Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant had made made a name for themselves doing their podcast and it was such a success that they even started charging for it like a pound and we sort of thought oh well okay we'll do ours but we're not going to charge a pound because no one's going to pay a pound to hear us crapping on but we'll give it a go and, and actually it was really fun and the freedom that we had being able to say whatever we wanted mm. off air you know um, I mean literally we just even sometimes I listen back to them and I think oh we, I wish we hadn't been able to say absolutely everything but we did and we got a little following and, um, and then uh, the BBC came a calling and said, do you want to cover for Sean Keevney on Six Music? A couple of years later. And we ended up doing a regular show on there for, for a, a few years, until about 2011, I think.
0: So it's interesting how one little thing leads to another thing. Yeah, that's the thing. thing. But the, the initial thing at XFM was was through an agent. Because sometimes I've spoken to people and it's like, oh, it's, I had a conversation with somebody. But it, that, that was through an agent. But then, Sort
1: of. I mean, XFM put out... Feel as they were looking for new presenters, and they sort of said, "Well, how about you guys?" And yeah, we just didn't see ourselves that way, and we we certainly were snobby and thought radio that's a step down, isn't it? We've been on TV. Why can't someone just give us our own film TV show, <laughs> our and, own channel? Yeah, but one way or another, it worked out because it it kind of levelled the playing field and it created an environment where me and Joe didn't have to be quite so competitive, and where actually our roles suddenly emerged. When we were doing the TV show, you know, we were equal partners. And there was no straight man and no no funny man or anything like that. We were both doing the same jobs. We were both pulling stupid faces. and You know, we told ourselves that's how we should do it because we don't want to fall out over who does what and who gets all the attention, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But actually, um, on the radio, it was good because we found these roles, which was me being quite angsty, competitive, <laughs> controlling, and Joe was much more laissez-faire and happy to pour a bucket of scorn on my ideas, mm-hmm. and obviously there was, the, the, there was a kind of truth to both of those roles, and a rea- they were rooted in some sort of reality. But it wasn't painful the way that it had been sometimes when we're doing the tv show yeah you know what i mean yeah it was it was from time to time (laughs) like when there was a run when we used to do this thing called song wars when we'd oh yeah we'd bring in songs that we'd written that week on a on a theme suggested by the listeners and it very quickly got extremely competitive and i would kill myself trying to make these songs as good as possible then joe would come in with something that he had clearly knocked off in half an hour max and would win, and the vo- and the listeners would vote for that, and it would win, and then it, and then it turned into a thing like on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, where they kind of pick on the weakest person, you know, and they vote them to do the bush Tucker trial week after week because that person is is in pain, and then the listeners could hear that I was getting more and more angry. They
0: were loving it. Yeah.
1: So every week they'd vote for Joe, and then I just lost my shit. And uh, on air. Anyone who knew me would have been able to hear the genuine anger in my voice, I think. But off air, I was just thinking, this is crazy. What am I doing? I'm getting, I'm, I'm, we're, we're getting back to our old habits again. I'm getting all uptight and uh, competitive about this thing.
0: And how long would you have taken to write a song if you'd taken half an hour?
1: Some come easier than others, you know. But one week, I remember it was, a, it was about a song about piracy about you know like uh, commercial piracy legal downloading and i spent pretty much every minute of every day for that week doing this thing and it just drove me nuts and he won and i think he won yeah and then i got really angry
0: well, anybody would it's yeah. natural isn't it <laughs>
1: when know. you've
0: worked really hard it's like doing an exam and you've studied really hard and you get a d and someone else has just revised the night before gets an a it's but the thing is that
1: it's it's I don't think it's it's not very good to listen to you know what I mean like those people are funny the good thing is that we found a way to make it funny Mm -hmm. which was Joe just taking the mick out of me I suppose so then after that when people started responding to it and when it was like oh okay this is what we're doing I get it now then it then it got really fun and then it was like I really looked forward to it each week and um, and it was really nice to know that people enjoyed it and Actually, it felt, even though it was lovely making the TV show and it was great fun a lot of the time, It for pure kind of more relaxed enjoyment and enjoying each other's company, the radio show was really fun.
0: But it's, it's very different from, from podcasting. Do you, yeah. do you miss
1: it? I do miss that live thing, yeah, mm. because that it makes you, especially people like me and Joe who are, our heads are always so full of things that oughtn't to be said yeah. and so when you're live and there's a red light on they <laughs> all so- want to come out and and, the, and and the effort to stop yourself saying the wrong thing makes you a bit hysterical yeah. and so then we'd get the giggles a lot and uh i think that's something that you only get live really mm. i mean we, we laugh when we meet up still and do the christmas podcast but It's 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 a different thing. It's it's not that same level of kind of dizzy hysteria that we used to get on the live show.
0: So going back to, do you prefer working with someone or in a team or on your own? Because then you kind of went went more on your own, didn't
1: you? I did go more on my own. So
0: maybe you can remember.
1: Well, it's quite lonely
0: sometimes. It is lonely. It is lonely.
1: The thing is, right? I live in the country outside Norwich with my family. My beautiful wife, my beautiful dog and my beautiful three children and I feel very lucky and protective of that unit and I want to preserve it and enjoy it as much as I can while I still have it and so it makes it from a practical point of view difficult to do a lot of other stuff and to collaborate and commute and you know do all those sorts of things. It's just difficult. I'm okay doing it in short bursts, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but long term mm-hmm. I'm not so good.
0: Which is why podcasting is great because yeah. you can do that with a dog,
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah at yeah. home. No, exactly. I sort of thought when podcasting started taking hold, my friend Louis Theroux years ago said, it must, it must be 10 years ago now. He was ahead of the game. Uh, yeah, he was. He's always fairly prescient. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, uh, what podcasts are you listening to? I was like, eh, not many, apart from mine. He said, it was when podcasts were starting to get more interesting. Hmm. So we were doing ours, uh, and that was brilliant, obviously. But, um, and I listened to John Ronson. Uh, they were just podcast versions hmm. of radio shows that they did. And the first one that was a proper sort of podcast that I was aware of was um, Mark Maron's show, WTF, uh, American comedian Mark Maron, who has interviewed, as far as I can tell, everyone. About a thousand people now, I think he's done, and, and it's all the kinds of people that I like and am interested in, a lot of comedians and actors and artists and writers and um, a really interesting selection, and he's consistently good. Uh, at interviewing these people so I think when I heard that I just thought oh I think I could do a, a more a less kind of uh, American stand-up comedian-y version I could do a more kind of fluffy middle-class Brit version of this with <laughs> from me. Norfolk yeah with me walking my dog and I'll talk to some of my friends
0: yeah.
1: and, you know it, it's not gonna be the world I'm not gonna be interviewing Obama anytime soon but you, never know. <laughs> um, you know I thought I thought I'm pretty sure I could make a, a fun thing because yeah. I, I like the, making the jingles and I, I like taking care over how the whole thing sounds and fits together and, and I think that what defines podcasting for a lot of people is how little effort you have to put in right that's one of the nice things about it. it's very democratic you can record a conversation on your phone and put it out mm. in the next uh, hour, and that's all you need to do. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. But if you want, you can put a lot of time into it and and make it much more of a little packaged gift.
0: And a bit like the back to the Brighton songs and the Takeover TV. Your your career always been quite. Little gifts, lots of uh, intricate details. You like attention to detail, would that be right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you really get a buzz from making
1: it sound perfect. Yeah, but, but it is. It is like I spent like in those in those uh, wilderness years after we stopped doing the TV show, I, and I had a family. My you know my my sons were born. I got married, and I was pretty directionless and didn't know what I was going to do in my professional life. But what I did in my personal life was I made. Uh, compilations for my friends and they took ages like I would make them on Pro tools so that they were all mixed together and everything and then I'd burn them off onto a CD and I would design the artwork and uh, it would take a week to make each one or something it was really really ridiculous I made one for um, a uh, commissioner at Channel 4 once a guy called Andrew Newman and he he just said, God, you are really wasting your time. <laughs> this must have taken ages. He wasn't being nasty. Like, he appreciated it, but he, he couldn't really believe that I'd spent so long doing this thing, you know. It took me a, a couple of days just to write the liner notes, which was sort of, they were like a parody. You were trying to impress A them. comedy parody of liner notes, you know what <laughs> I mean? It was a Pixies compilation. A
0: couple of days?
1: Yeah. Wow. I sat there doing this thing that no one was ever going to see except this guy
0: <laughs> they say do what you love though and you obviously do because you love doing it no one else would spend three days writing like that. I they? think they
1: would that's the thing you know what I mean like people who is it called scrapbooking and things like yes. that yes yes you know I just think that people do that people who keep beautiful journals intricate illustrated journals and those sorts of things um, that's where I'm coming from you know and if, and, and, and if I can, collection
0: postcard collection doing scrapbooks that's kind of you but in a, an audio visual sense.
1: sort of thing sort of thing
0: <laughs> maybe
1: it's <laughs> that aesthetic
0: yeah, yeah and do you think as well that often it's a good thing to do because you've done lots of different things having strings different strings to your bow so you know you've done acting as well and stand-up and we have even talked about bargain so do you think I often find with with my line of work, I do voiceovers and I do radio and I do continuity and stuff, that it's good to, you know, if one goes wrong, you've got other bits to go into.
1: Yeah. Would you agree? Definitely. Mm. Always have a backup plan. Yeah,
0: yeah. But do you like that as well? Do you like the variety?
1: Yeah, I think so. It is nice. Uh, Yeah, it it keeps things interesting. I would like, I mean... I, I can't pretend that it wouldn't be nice to have a, a, a thing that I did all the time to the best of my abilities. I'd love to work with a team of people, you know, because sometimes doing acting things I have worked with a group of actors and a crew and, and I really love that environment because it takes the pressure off you and you're part of a team. It's not just you on your own yeah. pulling your hair out, you know. So would you like
0: to do that full-time? Really?
1: Maybe not full time, I'd like to have the facility or, and the ability to, to just occasionally go off and do my own stupid crap. Well,
0: I'll have time to write the sleep notes in the evening. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, reinvention is is important and also sort of moving on with technology as well because yeah. you know, there's a lot of new tech all the time, and, you know, just talking is. about podcasts ten years ago, but a lot of people don't know what podcasts are now, I think, still. Yeah. Um, what's the next big thing going to be do you know
1: mate I've never been good at predicting (laughs) the future really Uh, what is it some sort of live broadcasting you know just people uh, documenting their lives some form of being able to broadcast your physical sensations and people could download them so you could experience how someone else feels when they're skydiving. A bit like brainstorm.
0: Oh, I'd never expected an answer like that. That's pretty impressive. I've gone
1: too far in <laughs> the <laughs> future. <laughs> You're
0: going to be at the forefront
1: of it, I know. Yeah, I definitely. I just know that. it. Now you can feel how it, with the experience of being an old man walking his dog in the <laughs> Norfolk countryside. It'll be huge because of the. Uh, older population. Yes. This is one of the nice things though, don't you find, is that people like you and me, once upon a time would have suddenly been totally irrelevant and no one would have cared about what we did. But actually our audiences are growing with us and they're living longer and and there is just media now that is not, the, you know, the young still have a stranglehold to a degree but not quite as tight as they once did. And now this people that everybody knows and loves who are a lot older. I think of Bob Waterman, for example, as a kind of figure that crosses generations mm. Mm. and communicates with with a lot of people. And he's, in a, in a lot of ways, he is, it's not like he's trying to be young or anything, but he's relevant still to a lot of people very much. And he will be for the rest of his career. Well, you know?
0: kids can look back on old episodes of shooting stars and that yeah. kind of thing, can't they? Yeah. yeah. Do you find having kids yourself means that you take less risks now? Or do you, do you think, I'm going to do something really crazy just to show them that I can? Because like, you've done voices for like CBeebies and stuff, haven't you? And yeah, I did,
1: did, did a voice for a show called Messy Goes to Okie Doe. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I've never been a massive risk taker. <laughs> I still do things that are silly and scatological and inappropriate. Um, without thinking. I don't necessarily show them to my children, but if they do see them, I'm not too embarrassed. Because they're never like... I don't do anything that's particularly dark. You know do, you d-
0: do you do any of your interesting voices to them? like, Or when they were younger, reading them stories and stuff? Yeah, like, definitely.
1: Yeah. I definitely did. That was the only thing I used to enjoy about Reading time stories. All the, cr- all the dog shit that I used to have to read to them. It oh gets better god. as they
0: get older, So the stories get yeah, better. does no. So when it's you, not Biff and Chip, you know. You for get all the time. to
1: Philip Pullman, and then it's like, yeah. oh, Hallelujah.
0: But then they start reading on their own, so it's not quite so good.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> no, that's not fair. They do. But, um,
0: <laughs> so if we look back on the sort of pivotal moments in your career where it all went right. Uh huh. I mean, there's the Joe element. Yep. Um, there's also being a little bit niche and uh, appealing to a really passionate crowd of people that that love the stuff you do, would you agree? Where else would you say?
1: Well, I think we we used to reference The Simpsons a lot when we first started because it seemed like a show that was made with a huge amount of love and enthusiasm and a lot of detail, you know, a huge amount of detail and... Um, stuff going on in the background of scenes and little in jokes and stuff it was made in the same spirit that some music was made you know what I mean like you could pour over an album cover some types of albums you know and and, and try and figure out what certain lyrics meant and what the details in the sleeve meant and I always liked that kind of thing Um, so we wanted to make a TV show in that spirit and then uh, I feel as if we tried to carry on doing that, you know, in various other media. And I still like doing it. Sometimes it's, you've got, I, I feel as if I'm trying to learn when to stop. Because sometimes it's self-defeating. And it just forces you into, uh, too far into the margins, you know what I mean? Um, I remember when we were at XFM, and... For a while Carl Pilkington, who was producing Ricky and Stephen, was I don't know if he was producing us, but we sat down with him because we were we were depping for Ricky and Stephen, and so he said he was giving us a bit of advice, and his main bit of advice was like, don't try so hard. Because you're putting too much effort into these bits. He was talking mainly to me. And, it, and it's a bit cringy, it sounds too much like you're trying too hard, too... basically what he meant is like, this isn't really that funny, it would be funnier if you just relaxed and you were yourselves a little more. I mean that's the bit of advice that everybody gets, is be yourself, mm. and it's useless advice because it's like saying... Just enjoy yourself or just relax or some other bit of bullshit that obviously you can't do in that moment yeah. you know you're trying to do your best are not you yeah, yeah. And, and, and actually I, I did a podcast with Brian Eno and he said the same sort of thing to me but in a, in a different way which what he calls it screwdrivering and he says that um, the, the temptation is always to keep screwdrivering to keep adding to keep putting detail, more and more layers, more and more work, more and more harmonies, whatever it might be. And actually, the listener wants half that. They want things to be stripped down. And actually, Carl was right to the extent that a lot of people really do respond to the sort of thing he and Ricky and Stephen were doing, which was just no real prep, no real bits, just mates talking and that's what Joe and I ended up doing as well Mm -hmm. but I disagreed with him about never doing it I think you you can do it as long as you keep an eye on it being worthwhile and actually funny and I think that if you do it right people really respond to it and I'm not saying everyone (laughs) it might just be a small group of people but people can hear when you've Made something with a lot of effort, you know, yeah, and no, with a lot of love. Absolutely. And if it works, it's like, hey, this is great. Thanks, you know.
0: Would that be your main bit of, if anyone's listening, because, you know, you, we can't pigeonhole you as a certain type of career because there's been so many things. But if anyone was interested in doing any element of what you've done, would you just say, work hard, put a lot of effort into it, and, and have fun?
1: <laughs> I'd say just relax, be yourself, and. Um, the, the, the secret, the only secret, is to keep going. And Even when
0: there's not much going on and yeah, you're thinking yeah. I'm gonna give up. Most
1: especially then. Yeah. Uh, because you gradu- you just, ver- if you're someone like me who doesn't have many great instincts, you just l- slowly and painfully learn and find out what works and what doesn't. And if you just end up being one of the last men or women standing, then that is very yeah. useful in itself you know and people are just like the people that hated you just die and or forget or move on with their lives <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then only the people that like you and left yeah. uh, that's a good <laughs> way of looking at it isn't it and, and tonight you're reading bits from your book that's not finished yet no it's fine? not finished so yeah. what's this book
1: about? well that's a good question um, it's um... What's it about? It's a sort of a midlife crisis-y book. It's the first book I've written, so I'm I'm going fairly um, obvious with it, which is to write about my own life and uh, to write about stuff I've done with Joe, but also just to write some kind of anecdotal stuff um, that I hope might be funny or interesting. Uh, I also write about my dad because everything changed for me when he died in 2015, at the end of 2015. And it just seemed, as it does for many people when their parents die, you know, it's just a very big watershed. Easy to uh, spot. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not very good at spotting key moments. I tend to come to everything about five years later than I should. But this one was like, oh, okay. I, I, I get this one. So I'm writing about that, writing about missing him, writing about... And
0: particularly because he was such a pivotal part of your career as well. Yeah, that's true. He, yeah, you know, yeah. He, he was part of it,
1: wasn't he? He was. But it was weird because it turns out that he wasn't... Like, I never really thought about what he was like and where he came from because he never used to talk about it. But since he died, I've ended up actually finding out all this stuff that I should have found out about years ago. And he's a a different sort of a person than i thought and actually a picture has emerged of this guy who came from a fairly humble background and wanted to join the establishment wanted to be welcomed as a you know he was a kind of aspiring toff almost and he created this persona for himself almost and grew into it and made the right friends and and then he wanted to have children who were going to carry on the, in those footsteps so he sent us to expensive schools and in the process ran out of money and uh, so there's all these things that happened that I didn't really think about very hard while they were happening because I just wasn't a very thoughtful child. <laughs>
0: but you don't really think about your parents like that do you? And like you say it's only maybe even since they they go yeah. that, that you, you really start You start developing. sort of thinking
1: like it, start, it, it suddenly occurs to you, especially when you have your own children, like, oh shit, how much of me is him? And you know, you sort of assume that you're like your parents in a lot of ways, but you never really think about it. You just assume that, you just think, yeah, okay. okay I got so his I, nose. I'm a bit like them, yeah, but I'm my own guy. I am, but actually, you're kind of pre-programmed in all sorts of ways that you can change and you can get away from but it's wise to be aware of them. And so, uh, and then you have your own children and you start worrying about all the ways that you're screwing them up. And Don't think about it. I know, but I th- I overthink all these things. <laughs> anyway, so I've been overthinking all these things for, for this book. I'm putting it in a book. Yeah, yeah. But also,
0: because if he was, like you say, trying to, to get into a different level of society, he was performing as well in a way, wasn't he? And, yes. and maybe that performance eeked into what you do because you perform all the time I suppose so
1: except he was quite sure about what he wanted to do he wanted to be socially upwardly socially mobile and I was sort of the opposite you want to be
0: down yeah because
1: I, I, I didn't want to go to you know me and Joe were making a TV show we didn't want to be everyone to talk about the fact that we've gone to an expensive school was embarrassing yeah
0: well there is that element often i find that people if you've been to a private school people go oh you don't want to tell people because
1: it's unearned privilege and understandably you are dismissed then and and, you know i'm not going to bleat about it because i'm sure i probably benefited from a lot of the you met joe you met louis well exactly yeah yeah so it's weird but but there's a lot of strange conflicting stuff there and also i think that my dad was a little bit mystified and possibly disappointed by the fact that he'd spent all this money thinking that i was going to end up going to oxford and being a lawyer or i don't know what at least a writer like him a proper writer and in the end what did i do i ended up waggling toys on channel four and (laughs) making fart jokes on the radio (laughs) It's
0: okay, though, because you're writing now in the book which you're reading in Oxford. Yeah. You see? You've done it.
1: That's right. You're here.
0: Yeah, So yeah, that's yeah. okay.
1: I know. I wonder what he would have made of it tonight. Yeah. He, he used to come along and see me every now and again, and he would always just say, it went over my head."
0: <laughs>
1: you know? Yes, yes, yes. People seem to like it, but it, it went over my
0: head. <laughs> but he came, and he kept coming back.
1: Oh man, he so was—he was very loyal, and yeah, you know, I loved him very much, and, and I know he loved me. But it's always weird with your parents, isn't it?
0: Yeah. So, so the book—when's it going to be finished then?
1: Wow. My third and final deadline is April.
0: Right. So I hope
1: it'll be out at the end of this year. But um, I wouldn't f- lay money on it.
0: It's like the songs, isn't it? You've got to speed things up. You've got to remember what... Yeah. Um,
1: Again, you see, it's my tendency to overcomplicate, to, to be too detailed, too precious, too fussy. And what I should do is take Carl Pilkington's advice and just relax. Just let it go. Write some bullshit and go, <laughs> okay, look, it's, it's not going to win the Booker Prize. But. but
0: listen, it's work because lots of people love what you do. So, you know, that's the most important thing. And, and do you think if you weren't doing this, do you know what on earth you would be doing?
1: Uh, well, I went to art school and my, um, I used to draw all the time. And actually, that was one of the sad things about computers, which I love. Um, but it meant that I just never drew anymore. And then I started again recently because my daughter likes drawing. And I just thought, wow, this is... I love this, so I might be one of those old farty people that ends up making a lot of really bad art at the end, towards the end of their lives. It's all right. Yeah, sure. Might well, just
0: just do something
1: different. Yeah, so, well, or I'd be a bartender. I used to be a bartender, okay. and I really enjoyed that. Uh, telling
0: people yarns, leaning on the on
1: the. On no, the, on the I wasn't really a, a yarny bartender.
0: Okay.
1: I was more of a boozy bartender. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'd like to. I like. I like. Creating environments, you know, I used to love, I'd decorate the, the set for the Adam and Joe show. We'd both do it, but I would sort of, it was my kind of uh, idea of how I wanted it to look and the mood of the thing and the detail. And I like doing that sort of thing. So I'd like to have a place, do it up, get the lighting right, yeah. get the music right. Just
0: be creative. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Well, listen. I know you're going to be on stage soon, so I'm going to let you go. It's fascinating hearing all your different twists and turns of your career, and there's and there's more to come. And I hope that that deadline for the book. Yeah.
1: Thanks. I mean, I should say, I know that I have a tendency to sound sort of down on myself at times, or 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 self-deprecating, but that's a sort of pathetic middle-class English thing. You know, more and more, I just feel so fortunate and. Um, enjoy my my life and feel very grateful that anyone at all is interested you know and
0: when you look back on all the fabulous stuff you've done
1: yeah you could,
0: you could start doing an exhibition couldn't you of all those uh, all those that uh, i those don't know maybe i wouldn't go to. that far but <laughs> <laughs> thank you Adam. it's been great talking thank you, to you. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. And don't forget to subscribe and rate us. And you can follow us as well on Twitter to find out about uh, upcoming guests. It's at where go right. Thanks to producer Megan, who, well, she started a little bit of a world tour. She's now producing the podcast via the Internet, thousands of miles away. Uh, She's in Bolivia at the moment where the temperature is 17, but I think it's raining. (laughs) Uh, Good job. Cheers me up slightly while I'm doing the school run. Anyway, thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you next week.